Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Two weeks ago, I had a Bob White firing off in the back. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, like, yeah. I was so excited about it. Oh I was my like, gosh. I was like, people don't understand, like, what that means. How big of a deal that is. Yeah. And then I snuck back there a few nights later because he was firing off again. I peeked around it, and a little female Bob White popped in there. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that's cool. Like, oh that got, I actually have goosebumps right yeah, now. Yeah. No, but, like, that's <laughs> like, a you're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inman. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle V. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic as always, and I am joined by my good buddy, Josh Launch. What's going on, man? Oh, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Been busy. Been busy. busy season, getting ready for deer season, getting filming, and now we're here with someone who we've really been wanting to talk to. Yeah. You uh, you, you want to introduce our guest? We've kind of, you've, we've talked a little bit back and forth about having him on for a while, and, and we're finally here. We drove up to Washburn, Missouri. Yeah, Washburn area. Washburn area. Yeah. We won't say specifically where <laughs> yeah. we're at. Don't drop a pin on Yeah, me, don't so. do that. Um, but you want to introduce our guest here today? Yeah, we've got Stephen Fuller with the Hunting Grounds um, over here in Missouri, and he's got a YouTube channel. You can check him out there, Instagram, everywhere else. But the real reason we wanted to talk to him is he's an expert in the Ozarks. He's con- or like changed his land from whenever he bought it as just primarily timber to now he's got plots, he's got food within the timber, and... Um, he's really taught us a lot just touring his farm, and so I'm excited to learn from him, learn tactics that we can apply in our neck of the woods, just quite literally just down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it. We've had fun already. Yeah. We've gotten a forerunner and went around the property, so enjoyed. I, I love showing people like what my blood, sweat, and tears have basically gone into. So just like you guys got excited seeing the deer, seeing the food plots, and seeing some of the management techniques I've implemented, that's cool to me. So I appreciate you guys just showing up to see that. So, Absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah, it it was a blast. We were cruising around, and I mean, just in the, I don't know, 30 minutes that we were cruising around, I already learned so much that, like, <laughs> I'm going to need you to say everything you said in the truck again here on the podcast so everyone else can hear it <laughs> okay. just taking the mic yeah you know sometimes brayton says i talk too much but <laughs> yeah i do talk a lot but i love it i'm very passionate about what i do and anything outdoors management hunting i'm passionate about it so yeah, yeah we'll talk a lot on here i'm sure awesome awesome well let's just start with um a little bit of background on you how you kind of got to where you're at today what what is the hunting grounds just a little bit of context um just kind of tell people who you are and, and what you do Okay. Um, Stephen Fuller, got the hunting grounds. We got a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram. You can see us out there everywhere. You can just look up the hunting grounds or THG TV. Now, um, I did go to school for conservation wildlife management, got a minor in field biology, another major in communication arts, and 
did that, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do in life. I just knew I loved the outdoors, and maybe it was thinking like game and fish officer or something right. like that. That's what everybody wants to yeah, do, Yeah, it's right? like, I don't really, can I create my own thing, though? Like, yeah, right. I'd like to do that, but what else can I do? Can I yes. just hunt every day? Yeah, yeah right. Can yeah. I get paid to hunt? That still doesn't happen, but, you know, it's kind of like on the road to that. Yeah. So I did that. Um, I've done a lot of leaps of faith in my life as far as jobs. You know, I've been a teacher. I've been a manager, marketing manager for Cabela's, and I've done a lot of things. And now um, doing the hunting grounds full-time, and I'm working with Dry Shot Footwear. I do all the marketing. And so um, it's everything that I do right now in my life work-wise is centered around the outdoors, which is awesome. Mm, yeah. You know, it's cool to be working with Dry Shot, and it's cool to do the hunting grounds full-time and and be working on that. We've got Brayton here who just moved in this last week, and we're going to be filming. We're going to be traveling. Um we produce a lot of content. So I kind of started the YouTube channel just on a whim. You know, I've, I'm passionate. Before, there was even a whole lot of things about food plots. On my 15 acres I had of my parents um, there in northwest Arkansas, I started implementing techniques that I just wanted to try out. So um, kind of had sanctuary areas on 15 acres and started going in and uh, knocking down briar thickets and putting in food plots and stuff and noticed that. I can grow and hold deer, yeah. you know, by doing these on 15 acres. And so my neighbors there, they would always get mad and be like, you know, they're killing these little scrub bucks, these little bitty bucks. And they're like, how are you guys killing like, you know, 130 inch deer? Like you have 15 acres. We have like a hundred acres against you or 200 mm -hmm. acres. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm passing the small ones up. And plus you're pushing them in and we're holding them. You know, there's, there's just spots on my properties that I never heard ever go into except maybe once or twice a year if I'm doing a management technique. So I did all that, started producing YouTube videos. Um, fans started going, when are you going to produce more? Mm -hmm. um, started getting some sponsorships, started getting some views. And I was like, you know, I'm going to continue doing this. If, if I can help one person out in it, I'm going to do it. And now we reach millions uh, literally almost a week now. So, which is really cool. Um, and that's what we do. We do a 365 day, or yeah, 365 day, um, a year show. So we, we're taking people through turkey season and then we get into food plots and timber stand management and prescribed burns. And, uh, we get into the deer season we go to predator hunting. We do trapping. We do a little bit of everything. Oh, I didn't know you did trapping. Yeah, we do trapping okay, too. Cool. So that's a huge part of management on your property. Yeah. So. We started dabbling in that. Well, we were going to do it a little bit last year, but like two years ago, I just kind of started getting into trapping because yeah. my father-in-law does it down in Texas. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's fun. Yeah. I love it. Like I used to do it in high school back when the money was good and I yeah. made money. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Now, not so much. Now I do it for, it's good practice. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, I I've got seven guys on my team or so, and we've got guys from Minnesota all the way down to Georgia. And they wow. they film their videos. They produce them. We put them on our channel. Uh, some of those guys, even like out in Tennessee and Arkansas, have now purchased their first bit of acreage. And now mm. they're doing the techniques and tactics that I'm doing on my property, and they're improving it. Now that I'm really excited for them because – they're excited about it. They're right. seeing the improvements and they're seeing the deer. So um, that's what we do. We try to bring that and try to bring a source of information, kind of like you guys do, mm -hmm. to the wide world of the web and yeah. where people can watch it and learn from it. So, yeah. And it's semi-live is what I've always said. We were kind of the first show to ever say that. People were like, what is that? And I was like, it's not truly live, but you know, it's within a week time span that we're putting out mm -hmm. our management techniques, that we're putting out our hunts. So if you guys see us, 
put out a hunt, you hopefully you can use the same kind of techniques that we used on that hunt ah. at that current time. Yeah. The right. rut's the same, food sources are the same, mm. that kind of deal. So gotcha. That's same with planning and exactly. Yeah, because usually you create this great food plot video and people are like, Yeah, that would have been great like three months ago when right. I was doing that. Right. So we produce it that week. That way they can go, it's time to plant for me too. Um, maybe they're Further south in the country or for the, further north in the country, they have to, you know, figure that out. But yeah. that otherwise, kind of accelerates the timeline or slows it down. Exactly a bit. right. But okay. otherwise, it's you know we have a huge following in our general vicinity, and it's it's not too different. So um, just kind of hope that people enjoy what we do. It's very real. Um, the kind of vlog style hunts, like it's not overly produced, but it is really well produced. So yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, uh, it's pretty simple. We're we just basically just live a hunting lifestyle and try to capture it and put it out there for people to see and learn from. Heck yeah, man. And how, yeah, how long have you been doing that? Um, the channel itself now uh, started in 2010, you know, okay. when I was still doing a lot of other jobs. So yeah. um, it's been from then that I've started doing it and I've stayed steady on it since then. Like I said before, when you were talking, I've been filming my hunts since I was probably 14, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And so I've gotten really good at self-filming over the years and um, had a lot of years of mistakes to, right, yeah. to get it that way. But yeah. So you've so. got, you've got, if I think about it, you've been doing it since 2010, you've got years of content for people to go binge on now, right? Like if, oh, if yeah. this is the first time you're hearing of Stephen Fuller in the hunting grounds, You've got so much for people to go learn. We have hundreds. Like, I don't even know. We probably have four, five, six hundred plus videos on YouTube to go check out. Good night. Yeah, we've got videos from when I was managing 15 acres and trying to do soybean patches and keep the cows out. Like, we've got stuff from way back when, and a lot of it's really cool, and a lot of people go on there, and you will see them, like, actually binge watch, and they get in there, and they'll watch, like, 10, 15 videos. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah, do it. Heck yeah, man. Helps me out. Heck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so, over the last kind of... 10 or 12 years since you've been doing it, um, it, it kind of sounds like, it, and now as you manage this property, it sounds like you've kind of perfected your craft or, or you've, you've improved, you, you experiment a lot. That's a big thing I know that you like to do. Um, how have your, your management techniques kind of changed over the years and, and gotten you to the point where like you kind of now have a pretty general idea of like what your overall philosophy is? How, how has that kind of evolution happened? I think, you know, just with now with social media, but even with TV, it influences so much of what we try to do. You know, you see Lee and Tiffany or somebody like that, and they're planting these massive food plots, and that's it's all we want. Everybody wants a food plot. They want a food plot to hunt over because they think that's going to make them successful. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, when I first started, it was kind of that way for me. That's plant food plots and food plots and food plots. And I didn't really focus too much on like the native habitat. Mm -hmm. You know, it's there and it can be proved on. We talked about it earlier. Super easy. It's sweat equity. You go in and you spend an hour in a day and take a chainsaw in with a full tank of gas and you can do so much good. That's going to be good for 365 days of the year versus your food plot. That's going to be attractive during a certain portion. And then like this year, we talked about rain, you know, drought factors or whatever, that food plot might not even be good to hunt over. Yeah, long. it's not right. even going to make it to the fall. Whereas the native habitat, it is. Like a native habitat, it's excelling right now. We're, we've been in a massive drought this year. We've had a couple breaks here and there, but it's still, you guys saw it on our property. Even with that massive drought, even with some of the implements, like some of the TSI that I did this year, that native habitat has exploded and the deer benefiting from it. I was talking to some of our guys the other day and said, 
I have more deer right now in the summer of drought, even with my food plots weren't green, you know, like mm. a month ago. They were non-existent. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I had more deer on my place on that time than I even had like the previous year during December when my food plots were green and I was pulling in all the deer that were starving because I was the only one that had native habitat around here. Everybody else is mature timber, cattle run property, and they were hurting and suffering and food plots were failing. My food plots failed. Mm-hmm. And then, but my native, my native habitat did not. So I had all the deer in here. That so kept you alive. That kept the deer coming. hundred percent. Yeah. Now I've got them here. Now I've got my food plots are green. So, um, we're having, um, some phenomenal hunts already and we're seeing a lot of deer. So that's how my strategy, I guess. And yeah, like you said, a lot of failures. I learned a lot in school. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, uh, with my degree, I learned a lot. But you don't learn – I would probably say I've learned more now getting out there, getting my hands dirty, and failing mm. at stuff, experimenting. You know, there's a lot of techniques that I do that not a lot of people do out there or they're just now doing, um, you know, and I'll take little – there's other guys out there on YouTube and stuff that I will watch, and I'm like, I like a little bit of that. And you have to fine-tune it to your property. Your yeah. property's unique and your area is unique, and so you got to take it and work with it, but – Native habitat's been huge, um, and yeah, just a lot of failures has gotten me now to where um, I know what I'm looking for on property. So we do, I, you know, I do quite a bit of consulting when I can. It's time consuming, so I yeah, sure. turn a lot down because I make money elsewhere. But I love it at the same time. I love nothing more than somebody to go, "Hey, will you just come like drive through my property with me?" I love seeing somebody else's property, yeah. like you guys did today. Right. <laughs> you know, to get out there and just be like, when I drive through a property, I don't. I don't just go, oh, this is really cool. I'm just already, my mind's going. I'm like, oh, we could improve this timber here. We could put a pond here. You know, we could burn this area off. Like, I go into management mode. Yeah, you're like all the way in. And I've already strategized. Like, yeah. give me a map. Let me draw it out for you because I want to help you. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's so cool. Well, I can tell you're passionate about it. Just. Oh, yeah. Just from us cruising around and, and yeah. seeing what you've done and the way that you've shared and like mm-hmm. you've been so generous with your your information already. So um so again, thanks for, for having us over. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the chainsaw. You said take a chainsaw and a tank of gas out into the woods and you can do more for your land than yeah. than most people do in a year. Right. What do you mean by that? Are you just cutting down trees and what is that actually doing? There's a lot that goes into that. So for one, I would tell people, go learn your trees, you know, and I'll get a lot of comments on my YouTube videos when I go in, I'm um, thinning out my timber and I'll go in and cut white oaks and red oaks. You'd be surprised how many people are like, what are you doing? You know, because deer love those. Yeah. We have thousands of them on this place, Mm. like everywhere. They're just almost overran. Whereas it almost makes it hard to hunt, you know, because when they start dropping, a deer could find any one of those trees and decide I'm going to bed 30 yards from this tree until it's gone. Yeah. And so by thinning them out a little bit, you do kind of create those little hot pockets, which is mm. nice. Um, but yeah, learn your timber out there. And what we're doing is we're going in and we're opening up that uh, timber canopy. We're opening up the canopy, allowing that sunlight to come through because that's why your forest has gone mature and you don't have any uh, new growth down low to, for thermal regulation or for browsing or anything is because your canopy is closed. So mm. I'm going in and I'm doing pretty aggressive cuts. So like I said, on this place, I'm doing a lot of, uh, almost like tree savannas. So I'm reducing the canopy sometimes, I would say almost like to 80%, 70, oh, wow. 80%. I'm knocking down that much because I've noticed that I've always told people now that I do consulting. If you go in and you thin out an area trying to allow the trees, it's, it's, it's in our human mind. It's hard for us to do that. We like things nice. Yeah. We like things clean. We want to, 
we want to look at timber and see everything underneath and be clean. That's right. nice to humans. Yeah. It's not nice for deer. It's visually uh, pleasing. Exactly us, right. Yeah. You know, it's like a mowed yard. You yeah. know, a deer doesn't like a mowed yard. They want yeah. it all grown up and they want diversity in it. So um, as far as the timber goes there, yeah, that's what we're looking for. We're looking to get in there, allow it to grow up and uh, provide that cover and stuff that they're looking for. So, um like I said, when you're going in and you're learning your trees and stuff, you can go in and be selective and go in and um, cut a lot of those trees out that you don't want your elms and ashes. And around here, I take out a lot of the hickories, you know, it's because they're, they're annoying. Yeah. The squirrels like them deer, don't do anything with them, and mm. they grow up everywhere so yep. fast. And so they're big. They're big, yeah. So learn those. And um, like when we were driving around, we talked about Tordon. That's one thing I use a lot out here is that spray. Yeah. Um, you can do a hack and spray with it. You can cut the stump and actually spray the stump so you kill it at that point. So you don't really get in that regeneration from that stump because there's so much nutrients and energy stored in that, in that whole stump system still alive. It's still intaking all that water, yeah. all that nutrients mm. competing for the native habitat around there that you're trying to uh, promote. So I go in and I'll spray that. And sometimes I just cut the stump and I let it regenerate stump growth because mm. that's beneficial for that area. Sometimes I'll go in and I'll do um, hack and spray and sometimes we'll do hinge cutting. It just depends. It, for each property, there's different implements that work for different scenarios. So. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you said something that I'm just kind of curious. I don't really know myself. When you talk about thermoregulation and like opening up the canopy, what what are you what are you talking about there? So thermoregulation, as far as just for the deer, the deer like to get where they can get bedded up and create an environment that they're going to stay warm in, especially during the winter. You look at hardwood timber, and people think hardwood timber, or even like around here, cedar thickets are like that's where the deer are going to be. They're creating cover. They're getting blocks from wind. When you get down to that deer's level, there's no there's no reprieve from the the cold. Mm-hmm. The wind comes right through there. Yeah, they would much rather get bedded up in a field where they can tuck up against and get that blocking from the wind, and they can actually regulate their bodies. Because gotcha. if the colder they get, and the the more effort they have to put into their bodies regulating their heat, the quicker their metabolism goes, the hungrier they get. Mm-hmm the harder the winter is going to be for them. Yep. So if you can get that and you can get that bedding in the timber like that or in a field, you know, vice versa, whatever. So Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about just taking a chainsaw out and, and clearing some some land, um, opening it up, opening up the canopy. What are some other things that people can do? Um, and actually, before we go there, in general, like to maybe just talk at a high level for like your philosophy nowadays. And we were talking on the phone. I saw, I thought it was super interesting. You were talking about less food plots, more native browsing. You kind of went into that a little bit. But at a high level, when you go into a property, what is your general philosophy for For I'm going to change this land to be what? I'm going to change that land to hold all the deer around the area. It's what I look at. you okay. know. So I look at, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that a lot of people don't do. When they get a piece of property, they just go, how can I make this instantly better? Right. Um, look at your neighbor's property. I say that's hugely important. So you look at your neighbor's property. If you're seeing deer on your neighbor's property a lot, there's something that your neighbor has that you don't have that you need to implement on your place. Mm. But I look for um, the limiting factors starting off. You know, do I have food? Do I have shelter? Um, you know, do I have the cover? 
That's what I'm looking for. If I don't have one of those three things, then I'm going to focus on that thing. So you can have your food and your cover, but if you don't have water, then you're not going to hold the amount of deer or vice versa for any of those three. Okay. First thing I look at, those three things. If I don't have them, I'm going to build upon those. And then I'm also looking to what in the area is pulling these deer off my property. If it's pulling them on my neighbors, what do they have? that I need to improve on here or I can plant here or do here that's going to keep them from going over mm. there. Um, now, in a perfect world, you can get along with your neighbors and go in and strategize a plan. But yeah. I still, even if I do that, I'd rather kill a deer than, <laughs> than kill a you deer. You still want right. the better property. <laughs> that's exactly right. right. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the main thing I'm going to look at when I go into a property is those three key components. Um, and, yeah, now I'm not really looking at – I don't want to walk into a property and think first thing. That's what a lot of people will do. They'll walk into property. Where can I plant a food plot? I just Mm. got this property. Where can I plant a food plot? Um, If I actually had my property where I wanted it to, and I might get there one of these days. I don't know. It's a lot of work. But um, I might take my food plots out of the the thing entirely and just go native habitat, native species um, through the field. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's with the natives, there's – there's food all year round. You can you can work it. But we talked earlier how bad this property was. My God, it was probably, no joke, you know, 90 to 95% Cerisa in the fields, which if you know that, it's highly invasive. It's not good for anything. It's not good for deer, not good for quail. It's and that's a grass. Awful. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, um, it's a grass broadleaf. I don't know which it actually would categorize in, but it was... It's an invasive species that was brought in basically by road construction power line companies. They prevent erosion back in the day. Oh, now okay. it's spread everywhere and they don't use mm, it anymore, gotcha. but <laughs> it's awful and it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, so um, that's how I kind of got the food plots, like to control the Cerisa lespedesis by going in spraying and burning and mowing and getting that under control. Um, but yeah, now I look at the native habitat. How can you improve that? Because uh, just with some time and sweat equity, you can go in there, you can provide cover, you can provide forage, and it's going to hold the deer on your property a whole lot longer and even maybe permanently. So um, that's what I'm looking for. Gotcha. Okay. Hopefully I answered your question. There. Yeah, no, it did. Um, and, and you talked to holding the deer, but we actually talked to a little bit about other species when you have a native mm. habitat, which, you know, it's so funny. We were talking to Ryan Diener a couple of episodes ago. And, and if you guys haven't heard that episode, great episode to go listen to. I know you listened to yep. some uh, pieces of it. Um, but he was just talking about how, like, if you manage the property and allow it to be native, like how it was hundreds of years ago, how it's so much better for everything. And in my mind, I immediately go to like, in what world did we think we could like manage the, the landscape better than God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is how he created it. So, like, how on earth could we improve upon that? So, so tell me a little bit about, it's not just for deer, right? No. like You've seen improvement on this property. <laughs> yeah. So, for- let me tell you my rabbit story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to see rabbits for the first time on my property. People think that's funny. And I've got a little heat on some of our YouTube videos, and I was like, yeah, I'm managing for rabbits. And people are like, why are you managing for rabbits? <laughs> you know? Because if you manage for those small species, a rabbit, the quail, those edge creatures – you're going to benefit everything up the food chain from there. Uh, there's a whole lot. Gosh, we could go on this podcast forever. But when you're doing that, you're creating a lot of prey, you know, and mm. now your your coyotes are not only focused on just your turkeys and your deer. Now mm. they've got rats and they've got rabbits and they've got a place to hunt. Now you've got edge feathering on your property where they have to spend time hunting. It's not just 
you know, flat field to mature timber that's super easy to hunt and they can go in there and see, find a nest or find that quail or whatever super quick. Now they have to work for it. Now they've, that's the biggest thing I would say if we want to get off on a little rabbit trail. (laughs) So when you go back to the trapping thing, we've, we talked about that. I trap a lot and I kill a lot of predators on this place. And that's been key as well. A lot of people say, you know, the decline in the turkeys or in the quail or whatever is because of predators there's a whole lot of components that go into that and they probably talked about that in the podcast yeah that it's not just one thing necessarily but if you know back before we were managing even trapping the species were all there right you know and it was because there was native habitat you mm-hmm. asked about the edge edging when i edge and how what does that look like that looks like field going into briars going into saplings going into you know um not fully mature trees and into mature timber stand because that's mm-hmm. where everything nests. That's where everything feeds. That's deer, that's quail, turkey, rabbits, everything. And um, if you create that habitat and a lot of it, when it comes to your bobcats and your your uh, coyotes and stuff, your big predators, they have to work for the food at that point. Mm-hmm. So by if I just had one edge on my property, if I had 100 yards of edge, that coyote's going to come in there. He's going to hunt that edge out like that. Yeah. Everything that nested is probably going to go nest in that spot because it's a best nesting habitat. But they've hunted it out at that point. So by going in, creating edge habitat, every single spot that I can on this property, I improve the chances of my quail and my turkey and rabbits surviving, basically. Yeah. So it's not just the trapping, but it's 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 the native habitat. Native habitat is key by far. Um, yeah, God's given us this earth. He said to subdue it and rule over it and have dominion over it, but it was perfect, you know, when yeah. he did that. <laughs> right. And we tried to take it to our own. We controlled the wildfires, and then we come in and induce or introduce invasive species like Cerisa lespedeza, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so we tried to manage it and try to put it to what's perfect in our human eyes, like we talked earlier. Yeah. A timber stand that you can see all the way through a mode mature or ma- mature. Oh, I can't even talk now, yeah, but man- like manicured, manicured lawn. You. Thank yeah. you for that. Uh, <laughs> manicured lawn. That's pleasing to us. You yeah. know, that's not pleasing to the wildlife. So, yeah. yeah, yeah no, we look go. at that and we're like, oh, I did a really good job on. See, edging for me is like I edged my, my driveway. driveway <laughs> grass, like up to there. Um, but for you, edging is so much more cool. I'm making a mess. Yeah. You're cleaning it up. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. So what are some other things you, maybe let's talk about edging a little bit. Um, that's, I, I would guess that that's something that people could do on their property. We talked about kind of adopting this philosophy, how, how people might do that. Let's just go through a couple of ways that people can do that on their own property. Easiest thing. So say, for example, this property, it literally was a horse pasture kind of property. Mature timber stand, kind of probably they came in with hay equipment and cut it all the way up to the timbers, what they did. So there's just... No edging. There's no transition in there. Easiest thing you can do is go in about 30 yards from that and take a high percentage, if not even all that, trees out of that area. I mean, you can go through there and be selective and be like, uh, for 30 yards, I'm going to take out, you know, 80% of the timber and fall it down. And it's fine. Like, it's going to be against our human nature to fall it in the field and leave it. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, leave a tree. You know, we should get in there and clean it up. Right. So... Follow those trees and be selective. If you want to leave a white oak here and there, that's great, you mm-hmm. know. But by doing that, that's literally almost all you have to do. And maybe to get a, a even a quicker start on it, instead of if you're brush hogging to kind of maintain your property or maybe even planting a food plot in there, that area, from the edge of where that field is or where you're falling your trees, 
don't build your food plot or brush hog all the way up against it. Go 20 yards from that. Let mm-hmm. that grow back up in the grass and stuff. Already mm-hmm. in, create that instant, instant transition in there. Gotcha. But it will do it by itself. And then if you can, you know, kind of maintain that by you can cut those trees, go in with Tordon um, and spray them so they're actually dead so you don't have to worry about getting back in there and, and doing a burn through and killing out those saplings. Or if you want those saplings to come up off those stump sprouts, you can do that. You're going to get saplings of all sorts to grow up in there, whether they're off the stump sprouts or not. But yeah. it's easy. That's all you've got to do. And by doing that, now you've created a ton of food, a ton of cover, and you'll see it. Like you saw how how the deer were when we were driving around on the property. Mm-hmm. They felt they were safe because yeah. they had habitat there. They just looked at us. Yeah. We were cruising through, and they're just like, yeah, yeah. what's up, dude? Yeah, and they're like, you can't see us. I'm like, yeah, we can. Like, <laughs> I know you're in six-foot tall stuff there, but we can see you. And so – when I got on my property to start with, is all open timber. If you had deer on the field, they were going to run through that timber and they were going to go 150 yards before they even stopped to even think about mm. what they just saw. Now with the edging, like you can't see in my woods from the edge of my fields anywhere. You go down through there, even if you bust a deer, they're taking two bounds in that and they're holding up. Yeah, That's it. They aren't running to my neighbors, you know, yeah. like, now they're here. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah. And he's got to work it. So when you say you're cutting the trees and just letting them stay there, that seems kind of non-traditional. Most people cut the trees down, drag them out, or cut it up into firewood. So you're quite literally just cutting them and letting them stay, letting the native grasses grow up under and through them. 100%. Are you you hinge cutting? Is is that part of it, or you're actually felling the the entire tree? I'm falling the entire tree on that. Now, there's parts that you can hinge cut. There's. I'm not against hinge cutting. There's times that you do need a hinge cut if you want instant cover i've done it along roadside so we saw it down there yeah. it gives me instant cover to walk in um or if you're just wanting to create a barrier between your neighbor or a barrier from the road you can do that instantly um it's just just maintenance with hinge cutting mm-hmm. you know if you if you kill that tree too much it falls too much and it it breaks a xylem or phloem or whatever in it and it makes it where now it's going to regenerate from that stump it's already usually what three foot high mm-hmm. and then within that first year now that's six foot high now there's no vegetation that's at the deer's level it's way out of there you've got to go back mm-hmm. in you've got to cut you've got to spray and so i tried to stick away from it as much as possible because you do have to maintain it gotcha um but yeah so now if you want to cut firewood do it we do that too so go yeah. in there cut out the good chunk of it drag it out there's nothing wrong with that on our videos that we've got on youtube I think loggers do a huge role in going in your property. If you can partner with a logger that does what you want um, and you kind of lay the standards beforehand, they can come in there. You can make money on your timber that you're falling and they're doing a lot of work for you because they're already cutting out a lot of it. Then you go back in on the back inside like I've done on my place. Mm-hmm. So now I've got some money in my pocket that I can put back in the property. They've done a lot of work for me that I don't have to do as much on my own now. So there's ways too. If you've got timber that's worth money which it takes someone to know their timber value so yeah. someone like me or a biologist you know states have biologists that will come out and look at that kind of deal for you so um there's other options there too instead of just falling them and laying them all the time gotcha that's yeah. cool gotcha yeah so what are some other things that you can do um so we did talk about you're like hey is there any kind of tips that we can do like right now like improve our property yeah. like right now for yeah. deer season um and those are very few and limited Nick, now you can go in a hinge cut. Maybe you need some easy stand access. You can go in a hinge cut, that kind of stuff. Uh, 
edging is not a bad deal. Like people think you're going to go into your property, you're going to cut trees down, you're going to bulldoze, you're going to brush off. It's going to blow out every deer out of the area. That's not the case. Mm. Like I can't tell you how many times like you go in, even when I had my loggers here, they're going to come in there and cut out a bunch. And then he's like, man, there are deer all over. I said, yeah, I know there's deer prints all last night. You know, like they are not bothered by that. They might push out for just a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But they're going to be in there. They're curious creatures. They're going to stay in that area. So, um, yeah, if you want to go cut edge habitat right now, it's not going to hurt anything. You're falling all that vegetation down. Now would probably be a time to do hinge cutting because if you come in, you cut the tree down at the base, it kills it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be – if they aren't in there that night or the next day, they probably aren't going to eat it because it's going to dry up and it's not going to be digestible. I don't care. Yeah. If you can fall it now, get all that greenery, especially in this drought, fall it now, um, they're going to eat on it, and it's going to be green for a while. So there's that if you want to do something. The other thing is uh, we are going to be planting a food plot. It's a little late. It's a little dry, but we're going to plant a food plot. We're going to do like a a wheat and rye mix, um, and we're going to plant it just super thick, you know, because we got hopefully some rain chances and – they kind of took it out for Sunday, but mm, yeah, <laughs> disappointing. But um, hopefully when that does come in, we're going to go in there. We're going to work the soil. We're going to get it all prepped, and we're going to go in with winter wheat. You could probably do the same thing with winter oats or anything like that. Plant it super thick, almost where it's like a carpet, especially if you have a lot of deer density uh, to keep up with the deer browse. But we're going to go in there, and we're going to plant that, and that's still going to grow. You know, a lot of your stuff like turnips and rape and stuff, they need 45 to 60 days for maturity. Those are out of the question. I mean, yeah. if you aren't going to get rain for another two weeks, yeah. they might produce a little broad leaves and the deer are going to nip them and then you aren't going to have any turnips. But um, so, yeah, there's still stuff that you can do. Um, sometimes the best thing to do right now is just not do anything at all, mm-hmm. but there's still stuff that you can implement on your property. When I was working this property, uh, I'm human, so I, I instantly wanted everything done like right away yeah immediately. i wanted everything done the first year yeah learned quickly that it didn't happen so that's probably one of the biggest things i learned working on this place is divide it up and conquer it you know come up with a three-year plan of like how you can get your property to like a maintenance stage um but yeah that was that was pretty hard for me there um but uh, the same thing that whatever you do now even if it's in deer season maybe your property is just not good to hunt you know, maybe there's just not deer in it. Is it really going to hurt it that bad if you go in there and work it uh, to make it where it's going to be awesome by that time next right, year? Right. Yeah. So that's kind of my like philosophy. Cut your right? losses a little bit. Exactly. Like, just like, get through it. I want to. I want to improve it right now, even though it's not going to do any good for me right now, and my deer hunting's already not good. Yeah. But I can make it great for next year at this time. So, and when you're limited on time and you're working a regular nine to five job and you only have so much time, you've got to do what you can do when you can. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. So you actually, you do use food plots quite a bit. I mean, we drove mm-hmm. around, we saw several, how do you manage the, how, how do you kind of decide like, Oh, well, instead of native browsing in this area, I am going to like in, introduce a food plot here and I'm going to put this in here and wheat and, and oats and all that stuff. How do you kind of manage that? equation if you will well i I like to do probably some more close if i can on a property i mean it's not bad to do about 10 percent of that if you want food it's the nice thing about food plots there's no guarantee on them but it is a buffet and it's a lot of tonnage really quick that there is a lot of benefits from as far as when i when i can go in there and pick a spot for them um it just has to be right. Like I'm already looking at like either I've hunted the property. I know where, how the deer like to move um, or vice versa. Maybe it's one of those things like when I was talking about earlier, it's like 
there's not food in this area. You know, that's the limiting factor in this area is there's just not enough tonnage right now. And I can make some pretty quick food by doing that. Or, or maybe it like my place, I like it that that's the only thing that's keeping me doing the food plots here is that it really helps hold the deer late season. It, it's phenomenal hunting late season. There's a lot of native browse and the deer can get by with native browse hundred percent. Yeah. But if you have food late season, it's a game changer. Okay. And I think my guys on the team will say that too. Um, even Colby, he's killed some of his biggest bucks late season because he had the food plots. Finally, mm-hmm. it's a game changer late season. Um, I mean, if you're doing native browse and I hunt a lot of properties that don't have any food plots, so I've got, okay. I manage a lot of properties that don't even have food plots at all. It's just managed for age, you know, basically. Okay. Um, and in those areas, it gets tough to figure out what are they eating on right now? Where are they in the native browse or native habitat here that I can go find them? It's a lot harder. Yeah. Food plot kind of makes it easy. Yeah. Like, I know where they're going to be. Right. So. Yeah, you've got that one hot spot right there. Yeah, right. You mentioned, so you just said manage for age. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? Are you you're managing a, a different style, a different way for a different outcome? Or no, those. It, I mean, I I manage for age on all my property. I really try to get deer. I really want to see that four and a half plus. Okay. You know, don't get me wrong. I've shot a lot of three and a halfs, as you've seen in the house. There's yeah, a, there's a lot, these are oh, a lot yeah. of three. We're and surrounded by deer right now. <laughs> yeah. If you if you'll have to see on on the Instagram and on YouTube, we've got a lot of deer around us. Yeah, there's a lot of deer. It's kind of overwhelming in here, but yeah. there's also a lot of five and a half plus year old deer in here too and i i like there's nothing wrong and i get excited it, if the three and a half is big enough they get me fired up he's dying mm-hmm. you know it's the same thing i don't care if he's probably two and a half you yeah know? like yeah um but i really when i get the properties and i can manage them and i'm putting in my time and effort i want to get them to an older age class because you get bigger bucks so these other properties that i'm managing i just don't have the time or the accessibility to go in and do a lot as far as um, food plots or timber stand or prescribed burns. I have very minimal effect on that. But when I go in there is I'm really trying to get age on the deer in there. So I am managing the does on those properties, trying to let the bucks grow up and only taking like the, the older age class. And so some of these properties now we've been managing for about three years. So we're in that hot spot right now where this year they should be like a lot of four and a half, five and a half year olds. And it should be pretty cool to hunt. So that's what we're trying to do on those properties. Just really um, keeping the pressure down a lot. We I do a lot as far as not overpressuring uh, any areas that I hunt, especially on this place. So yeah, gotcha. Yeah, um, maybe let's talk about. Uh, you mentioned prescribed burns there. How much of that do you do on on this property on the properties you manage and? Um, what are the benefits that you're going after? What are you trying to do when you do a prescribed burn? Is that something that people like, can people do that to their own place easily? And you know, how, how does that whole process work? It's a big process okay. actually. Um, I did a lot of training in school. You know, you, you can actually, a lot of state agencies will let you come burn with them. If you reach out to them, they'll let you know, cause that's extra hands and that's what you need. So yeah, it's like volunteer labor. Yeah, it is. So, and you learn a lot at that time. So uh, but I do a lot of the burns here on the properties. Um, I try to do all my management techniques on this. This is kind of like the property. I, I show everybody what I do on, like I'm going to do a hundred percent of everything on this place and okay. on the other places, what I have time for, I can do, I don't do too much burning on the other places. Um, I do a lot here. Uh, like I said, I probably did, um, 
probably close to 25 acres on this place this year. Okay. I've got 110 acres. I would like to do a higher percentage of that this next year. Now, I kind of do rotations. It Some of the areas I do need to burn every year, and some areas I probably need to burn about every two to three years. Um, what dictates that? Uh, it, it just, honestly, on this place, it's what grows up. I have some hillsides that get a lot of sun, and I don't – I get a lot of grasses, and I don't really have to deal too much with the saplings and that kind of stuff growing up. So every three years, I'm all right on that. Now, some of my other areas, if it gets woolly really quick. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot of saplings, and it gets a lot of briars where it's just almost unmanageable. So if I don't stay on top of that, I've got to do it. Now, we did talk about when we drive around, drove around that I do a lot of early spring burns, and that's usually – you're looking at February, March, maybe even April. Um, you can get a lot of burns in there. And that's basically just getting rid of a lot of your fuel on the ground. So any of the trees you've cut down, um, any of your leaves on the ground, which is great, you know, and it's going to be beneficial. It's going to allow that soil to be exposed and hopefully get some new growth. If you combine that with TSI and go in and do some um cutting and actually open up the canopy now your place is going to explode now you've got bare exposed soil you're getting rain you're getting sunshine you've got everything for it to grow and so um this year this next summer i'm actually going to be focused on doing some midsummer burns so i've got some of my areas where i came in and i cut trees and i got a lot of stump regeneration i got a lot of saplings going up it's now to that point where it's like okay this ain't really doing any good for deer it's out of their browse level there's not a lot of vegetation for them to browse up on so by doing a summer burn i'm going to come in there and it's actually going to kill those off where then hopefully i'm just promoting the grasses and forbs stuff that's more you know desirable for browse and bedding and everything there so um yeah you can do it on your own it's you know we have videos. I never tell people like, just watch our videos and you'll learn how to do it. Yeah. Uh, don't it's do like, that. It's like a liability for you. Big time. <laughs> yeah. It's just, don't do that. But, um, you get with somebody that knows what they're doing. Like I can do a good bit by myself, but I've done a lot of it. And we, when we drove around on our, my property here with you guys, you guys got to see the roads. I implemented roads on my place because I think that's one thing that people can do when they get a piece of property is make, it gives you access for one. Sure. And you can partner this with your loggers if you where it oh, deals out. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. can get if it all done at the same time. It, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of stuff you can do, but, uh, get those roads built in and those are fire breaks, you know, great fire breaks where now it's manageable for me and a few guys to go in and I can do a 20 or 30 acre burn at once instead of going, I want to do five acres here and there and, you know, be puckering because the fire is coming real Scary. quick. Yeah. yeah. So now we've got this huge road that we can blow out and we have these huge fire breaks. It's a lot more manageable. So yeah, yeah they can do it and it's great. It's a great tool. Um, but I would say get educated on it first. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and while, while we were driving around, you talked about, um, and, and you just hit on it there a little bit, but I want you to go a little bit more into detail on burning in the spring versus burning in the summer. Why burning in the summer actually kills like the saplings and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that versus in the spring. It's yeah. it's not really killing it. It'll regenerate. Yeah, it will regenerate there. It's just because your your plants have during the winter they they take everything down. They store them in the roots. And when you come in there in the spring and you're killing, even if you do a really hot burn, and we talked about it, you can burn a sapling all the way through, and you're like, I've killed that. Yeah, it's not. It's going to come all the way back up. Um, and so that's why you have to practice doing the summer burns as well, because the summer burns are going to do are going to take out your saplings. Um, I'm looking for more native grasses, native grasses and forbs and stuff here. I, I really want that. I'm finding that's 
a lot more beneficial for deer. The deer like it. They're in it all the time versus if you're in a, um, a thicket of saplings, they just aren't in there very much. Yeah. No reason for them to, it's not great bedding. They can browse up high for a little bit, but there's not the tonnage that the other produces as far as birds. Yeah. You know, like we talked about, I heard, uh, what was it? Uh, Two weeks ago, I had a bobwhite firing off in the back. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I actually yeah, got it on video, went oh back there, and I was like a nerd, you know, like filming myself, like, listen to this. And, <laughs> and like, you know, like, yeah. I was so excited about it. Oh, I was like, my gosh. I was like, people don't understand, like, what that means. How big of a deal that is. Yeah. And then I snuck back there a few nights later because he was firing off again. And you guys saw the border patrol that I had on my property there. Mm-hmm. I peeked around it and a little female Bob White popped in there. I was like, oh my gosh, Dude. like that's cool. Oh like, my gosh. That guy, I actually have goosebumps. Right yeah, now. No, <laughs> but that's like, a huge that's awesome. deal. It's huge. And uh, that's the same thing like with like the turkeys. And I didn't have turkeys when I started this place. Now we have huntable populations of turkeys because we have the nesting habitat because of prescribed burning and management. You know, you provide those grasses, those forbs, and that nesting habitat, especially for nesting, but also raising their poults. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a huge thing. And that goes back into making more habitat is going to make it where it's harder for those predators to wipe out the game species that you're wanting. So, yeah. yeah. That's you so- can trap a bunch, but you what you need to do is focus on the habitat. Well, that's the thing with trapping is, like, there's there's you can do a lot, but there's only so much that you can do. Like, there will always be predators. You're, you're not going to get rid of them. So, like, you have to manage other right. ways. 100%. Yeah. You can – a lot of people – I love predator hunting, yeah. but you don't do hardly anything predator hunting. You know, you yeah. just – kind of just get mad about it because it's hard to do for me anyway but yeah um trapping is good um but even you know trapping is hard and it takes time and mm-hmm. you still don't get them all so what better else to do than to kind of battle that with let's give them a fighting chance and give them places to hide so right yeah. absolutely absolutely what else can people do <laughs> I'm gonna keep hammering the question. Gosh, you know, I I could probably talk to you all night. I, I don't. Know, <laughs> everything that I've done on this property is uh, just been it, it's been a learning curve. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Like I've started. We talked about doing the TSI, and I went up there and failed at not cutting enough timber out. We, that goes back to one thing I want to talk about earlier when we were talking about TSI. I always tell people I don't think I brought this point up. And TSI is timber stand, stand improvement. improvement. Okay. Yeah, but it, you're basically just managing your timber there. When you're going in there, and I said in some of my areas I'm doing like savanna cuts. I'm cutting like sometimes eighty percent of these trees out, and it's because. Anytime that I'm doing consulting now, I tell people, I know it's not good. It's going to be hard for you. Like, go in there and uh, try to cut, like, 50 or 60% out. And if you go and you look at it and you're like, that's great, then you need to go another 10%. Oh. Because I have learned that you go in there and you're like, all right, I think that's pretty good. I can see the sunlight poking through quite a bit. I've really opened it up. And next year I'm going back in there and I'm having to cut out more. Mm. And I'm really trying to get to that point now and I've gotten to that point as far as I'm pretty good where I know how much I need to cut out. Yeah. So now I'm not having to go back in there the next year. So now I can go in there. I can do it once and done. Let the deer take over. Let the bucks get comfortable in there. And I don't have to keep going back in there. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot you can do. Yeah. But I don't know what else we need to talk about. Well, you said uh, you talked a little bit about like failing. Like you, you've had some failures and you've obviously learned some lessons from that. What are some things that you've done that you're like, oh, that definitely didn't work? Oh my. Um I don't know. I, I would say probably one of the well, 
Jeez, there's a bunch of that. <laughs> I can do anything from managing on that to like filming. There's a lot of failures in there. Okay. Um, I would say what we just talked about, that's one failure. Yeah. Um, another thing was, you know, it, there was almost like a fad for a while on hinge cutting. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. was nuts. Like everybody on YouTube, hinge cut, hinge cut. I was like, I'm going to hinge cut. And I got this property and it was kind of big at the time. So I was like, I'm going to hinge cut everything. All of it. Yeah, that was a mistake, <laughs> yeah. you know, big mistake. Because I did like uh, probably two acres, and guess what? I was doing the next uh, probably two years after that. I was in there going, now I got to fix my mistake. Because going in there and prescribed burning, it killed some of the tops. Some of them um, eventually just died. The tops died out, and so then I had these stump sprouts everywhere. So now I've hinge cut these trees at three foot, and now these trees are. Sp- dump sprouted from the three foot tall that are now, I don't know, 12 foot tall. So now I'm going back in there and I'm either going to have to cut it and spray it or I'm going to hack and spray it. Um, So that was a big failure. Another thing was um, I would say probably just not really looking at the native habitat and going in, I want to only plant food plots and not planting enough food plots to start with when I first got this place. So um, food plots are pretty powerful and they can be pretty powerful. Uh, but when I first got this place, I planted some. And I, like I said, I planted like a half acre or a quarter acre. And to me at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've never had that much open land to plant yeah. a food plot. Like, it's going to be so much, and I'm going to have so many deer. And they came in and demolished it. I had Once you start improving your property, I will tell you, it's going to be instant almost that you're starting to see more deer. I did a consulting job, and it's kind of sad. The guy passed away from COVID, but mm-hmm. he was super excited about me. He's super huge fan of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, man, I got to have you come down and consult for me. And I was like, okay, we'll work out a time. We'll get things worked out. Went down there and walked his place, came up with a three-year management plan, got him set up with a logger. He got in there, started working it, establishing food plots, got roads built in, started thinning the timber. He was doing stuff on his own, doing some hack and spray. And he was just like instantly like the next day, he goes, dude, I've never seen so many deer. Like wow. there's already deer in the food plot and there's deer walking. And then he would like send me these videos. He's walking down his little logging road that he has access finally to the back of his place. And he's like, I met a couple of deer coming down in there. And then, you know, that fall, he was like, I, I've never seen so many deer in my life. He goes, wow. I just never thought I had this many deer moving on my property. He probably didn't. He had probably had them moving through. Yeah, right. But now that he's done all that, he had a lot of deer just come in and just really focus on his property. So I would say that was probably one thing too is just not knowing that – preparing myself for how many deer are going to come in once you start really managing a property. And so um, trying to balance the food equation, that's huge. When I talked about this property and how even I've got – probably about 10 acres planted in food plots. It's going to be dirt. Like even right now, um, I can tell with the amount of deer that I've got, it's probably going to be dirt by the end of January. There's okay. just that many deer coming yeah. in. And so that's why I implement the native browse. That's a ton of tonnage yeah. <laughs> um, that the deer can eat all the time. And so, um, and it's there for the winter. And so I'm trying to improve that. So to supplemental the feed, because you can do a couple of things. You can go, I can kill more deer. Or I can make more food. And so I want to see more deer when I'm hunting. So I've got to make more food. And there's probably going to get a point where I've tapped out. I've done every bit of management I can in my place. I've supplemented, you know, with food plots. And I've got my carrying capacity pretty much on my property. Now I've got to manage the herd. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's fun because I, I take a lot of kids out in this place. I kind of use this place for the dad, kids, and yeah. I'll hunt it. And that's about it on my 110 acres. And so 
when I take a kid out, I want the kid to see deer instantly. That's a hunt. Oh, yeah. Right. Who, yeah. A kid who, doesn't want to go sit there and struggle all day and not see anything. Yeah, right. There's nothing worse than that. And so yeah. I also have to tell the kids now when they come out and hunt, I'm like, this isn't normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, Forewarning. This doesn't happen. <laughs> Wait until you get older. This is this is going to be rough. You'll want to quit. Yeah. But when they come out and they're just like, hey, you know, we've been out here five minutes and there's a deer. Can I shoot it? And yeah. I'm like, let's wait a little yeah. So <laughs> see if a bigger doe walks by. <laughs> yeah, right. So I love that, and I love that we can sit. We um, just sat the last couple of days with a kid that came up and bow hunted, and I mean, we watched thirteen deer in that food plot, and we came up the house, and there was ten deer in the front food plot, and then we go back out to get his deer, and we see deer, and it that's fun. Like that's oh, what yeah. I want. So, yeah, yeah, that's a big learning curve there. Like learn how much your property is going to change as far as attracting deer and other species and stuff and, and get ready to provide food because you've got to have it for them. Yeah. So. so where can you find the native grasses? So someone who's not immediate to this area, how would they go and find what is natural to their uh, Do a lot of research. I mean, you can get online there. There's like, even there's companies, like I told you guys in the front of the property, I partnered with Pure Natives on that. And they have seed blends for different areas or just basically if you're almost trying to create like a certain kind of ecosystem with it, they've got those seed blends out there. Um, you're Like we talked about, when you get down and you start doing this, there's already dormant seeds that are in there. It's the same thing as if you go – that's why people get frust- frustrated when they go in and disc a food plot because they're like, where did all these weeds come from? I yeah. had everything sprayed because you have dormant seeds in there. You have a seed bed that's been in there for a long time, and it takes a long time to kill it off. Like mm. I don't care if you disc it up and you spray it and you burn it. Like every time you do that, there's going to be – you're like, how are these seeds coming in here? Well, they're there. They've been there for a long, long time, way before us, you know, and so – by doing these management techniques, it's automatically going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, like well, the reason I partnered with Pure Natives up there is because I was like, I've got all this exposed soil. I want to make sure that I get the certain seed species I got. Um, there's a lot of uh, switch grasses and stuff up there, which mm-hmm. is great for bedding and cover. And I kind of wanted that, which I knew I probably wouldn't get that here. So it is kind of that's something I'm going to have to learn a little bit more on on this property over the next two years because now that I've opened it up enough, I am seeing in different areas where I'm like, I like the way that's looking. It's right. diverse. It's got a lot of cover. It's got it's got the species that I would desire in there. And then you look on the other side of the hill and you're like, that's nothing but literally just junk. And it's not even growing. I don't see the deer in there. I don't see browse on it. So I need to do a little bit more research on what's coming up in those areas and how to kind of battle that. And I might actually have to come in with some seed mixes and topically apply them. So yeah. And a lot of companies, too, have, you know, like pure seed natives and stuff like that. What's nice about them, a lot of those seeds have actually gone through the stratification process that they need, like they do basically from sitting over a year through a winter that's already been ready. So usually those companies, like, you can get their seed and you can go plant it. Okay. It's, like, ready to go. It's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I might be having to do that. Um, We'll just have to see how things go. Yeah. Uh, It's a learning curve. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, one other thing that you mentioned earlier um, was, again, back to some experiments you've done. You talked about you had this this area up at the front that you were that you were clearing. I call it savanna. The savanna, yeah. yeah. And you did you did one you did one tactic on one half, and then another tactic on one half in terms of like cutting and clearing. Yep. You want to talk a little bit about? That? Yeah. So that was dealing with the savanna. So I'm trying to I'm kind of the nerd on trying to get my place back to pre-colonization of humans you know like yeah like we talked about this was predominantly a pine forest back in the day now it's like uh, a hickory oak forest and probably primarily hickory yeah um 
So I'm trying to get back to that. Back then, there was tree savannas all on these ridge tops. You guys got to see some of the beautiful views that we have oh, out here. Beautiful out here. I can imagine what it looked like back in the day when the Indians were here and you had all these open ridge tops and they were they were here because they would just get dry and you have all these wildfires come through and you'd have we had bison, we had elk, we had everything here. Yeah. And those are herds animal and they'd trample things. They they do their own justice too to, you know, getting the ecosystem to where it was. But um so yeah, I'm trying to get back to that. So I was like, I'm gonna do these savannas and I got up there and I kind of did an experiment because I do experiments on everything I do. I did half of that, well, at least half of it. I went in and I manually cut down the trees, got in there. I tried not to scrape the tractor on the dirt. I tried to leave like that native seed bed there. Yeah, and I tried to topsoil. Yep. Yeah, and you try not to disturb it. I wanted it to do its thing, but at the same time, we talked about it how it's not pleasing to the human eye to see all these treetops, you know, I was like, I'm going to get them, get them gone. Yeah. So I took all the tops. I actually cut a lot of the trunks off and I picked them up and I piled them at the front of the property for firewood. So yep. we didn't waste it. <laughs> um, so we did do that. But so I burnt that area. I, well, I picked up the piles and I burnt one pile and I planted the PRC natives in there. And then I had the native species. I actually let the native species try to come up first. And that's when it was like, not good. So yeah, it's not what you wanted to see. No, that's why I planted over the top of it. Um, and then the heather half, I went back in, pretty much the same thing, but I felled the trees and cut, just let them lay. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going in, I wasn't disturbing the soil, and I was like, we'll burn through the whole thing. So um, I burned it twice since I planted those um, pure natives, and you guys saw it up there. It is mm-hmm. beautiful. Like, yeah. you guys saw the deer Immaculate. in it. <laughs> yeah. You have, you, have um, you know, grasses that are i don't know probably six seven foot tall in there um during the drought this summer i'm not real good with identifying all my flowers i'll be honest on it but you get up in there it was in the middle of drought i had flowers blooming through that thing like the native seeds just thrive in their environments and so there was flowers blooming up there all summer long in the middle of drought and that thing was tall and green i'm like what in the world this is awesome but where the area that i just fell the trees and let them lay and burned through um did so much better left alone unstirred disturbed like if i didn't get in there and pile up all the brush on the other side it would have looked so much better like just the amount of vegetation and the quality of vegetation that came up so that's what i've done now so you guys saw the hillsides i've Mm -hmm. cut a ton of the hillsides because that's my sanctuary areas i don't really hunt them much and so i'm going through trying to turn them into almost like open savannah so there's there is mature trees that are scattered through it but at the same time there's a lot of bedding a lot of um a lot of forage up those hillsides that they know 100 percent of the year they can stay in and then i'll hunt them when they come in the food plots or the ridge tops where i can control my wind a little bit better yeah so. man that's awesome yeah. did you say um you might have already said this but just refresh me when you're when you're leaving trees say you're you're going through and you're kind of picking the trees that you want to leave behind you're, you're getting rid of the ones you want to leave what are the main trees that you're leaving behind that's a good question because you haven't asked that one okay um it just depends uh what i'm looking for in that area so a lot of times i am leaving white oaks everybody likes to leave white oaks the deer like the white oaks and i'm leaving most of the oaks if i can in the area first off i'm going in i'm taking out like the elm and the ash and the hickory the stuff that just does nothing for the wildlife that are usually the first to grow up in the area they they're taking up canopy taking up space i don't want them in the area kind of deal so i'm taking those out now if you there's certain areas on the place like when you drive in my property 
um, some of the biologists would probably come in and be like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> because I've left dogwoods, a lot of dogwoods, but mom likes dogwoods. Oh yeah, so they're pretty. You gotta, you gotta please everybody <laughs> right. else too sometimes. Right. So there is some of that human perspective that I do have to please there. So when you drive in, you're going to see like a few scattered big trees and a nice canopy of dogwoods, yeah. but it's really pretty in the spring. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that goes back in on certain species too when I'm doing that. If there's a dogwood in there, um, the deer love dogwoods. If you do a hinge cut on a dogwood, they love those. They're going to keep growing. That's they, a tree. They eat the dogwoods? Oh, yeah, they love them. You go they cut one down right now. Well, it's just the leaves, and they love the seeds, like when the seeds come on them. They okay. love them. So um, elms, they love elms a lot. Sassafras, oh, my gosh, they'll, like, kill over sassafras. Mm. Um, and so those – in an area, those are trees that are not really like too aggressive. And so if I am going in and I'm thinning out some timber, if I'm looking at those species, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I might hinge cut that. I'm just going to let that thing live because it's not going to really do too much damage as far as competing for the nutrients and the water in that area. And so, um, yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm looking for there. And then I'm, I'm trying to focus, like make sure you focus on percentage like when you're doing the tree thinning don't be like i'm gonna leave every oak tree because if you leave every oak tree you're not gonna do what you need to do you're not doing enough you're going in there and you're working your butt off and you're gonna come in next year and be like this did nothing like i literally cut down a ton of trees and i didn't open the canopy enough so i didn't really do much anything so um you really have to focus on the percentage take out that percentage and start with taking out all the junk that you don't want and then what i do is I'll kind of get it all done and I've left a lot of red oaks and white oaks in an area and I go back in and I'm like, yep, um, which one of those do I want to take out? There's a lot that goes into that too. So you got to look at the canopy. You want to look at the trunk. Maybe it's a stump sprout. Maybe it's hollow at the bottom. Maybe there's a dead branch coming off of it. That's usually an indicator. So I also manage my property that I want timber value out of it. So um, anytime you're doing this, I'm not just going in. People are like, man, you're just laying a lot of money everywhere. I can almost walk into woods and I can tell you which tree is going to be hollow mm. by what's that tree in that, in how that tree looks, whether yeah. it's got some damage around the trunk, it's got a hole, it's got a broken branch or it's got a hollow spot up. And so I'm going to take out that tree. I want the best of the best left and take out the rest. Mm. So, um, I'm going to leave that. Uh, if I'm, if I have too many white oaks in the area, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to pick the best of the white oaks. I'm going to leave those. And those also might be the straightest trunks. So there's a lot of factors. I'm going in first and taking out the trees that are hollow, that I know that are dead, um, whatever. And then I'm going in, okay, now I've got, you know, these few trees left and they're all pretty good, but I still need a couple out. I'm going to take out the ones that are curved or whatever that's not going to be good for timber value. Right. I don't know, for kids, for whoever owns the property after me. Like, I don't just manage and do what I do for me right now. I, I got to think about what it's going to look like in the future. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that perspective. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like you kind of, the main thing is focus on the percentage and then there's like kind of levels of like how you make decisions on like what there trees is. to take out, how it looks, timber value, all yep. that stuff that you kind of go down that list. A lot. Do you I mean, you might be walking through there and, um, I'm name blank on it right now. Uh, but there's fruit bearing trees out here and I can't even think of the one that I'm wanting, but, um, you're going through there and you're like, you know what, that would be a good tree to leave. You know, so how can I work that into what I'm doing here? So, um, yeah, when you're going through there, there's there's kind of levels that you've just got to play with. But you got to know your trees. You yeah. got to work that percentage. Yeah. And tree identification really isn't that hard anymore if you have an app on your phone. But yeah. I don't need an app. But, yeah. yeah. You've got it down now. Yeah. Uh, for what you, l- like, learned in school and, like, actually studying this stuff versus kind of what you know today, 
how different is it? Like, what did you learn in versus what you know today? Is it like vastly different or are you like, no, I'm just now confirming the stuff that I learned years ago? Um, it's vast. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. It's pretty vastly different. Like I would say I've probably learned more of my failures and just getting hands on experience than I did in college. Now I've learned the basics of college. I did a lot of studies of what things were beforehand, how things work. I did cell biology. You know, you get into like the depths of the depths of stuff, which some of it you just don't need. But, um, when it gets into the management perspective, you can do all these studies. You can do, read all these studies from, we did a bunch. I mean, you're looking at Australia, you're looking everywhere, and you're just seeing what people have done to, to manage prey population, predator populations, do, doing habitat improvements. You're looking at all that, but you have to fine-tune it to your property. And, like, here in the Ozarks, there wasn't a whole lot that I could look at and go, yeah, I can implement that here. It's unique. Every yeah. every spot's unique. So you just got to get in. Um, if you can find somebody that's work in that area, like you guys are a good source for information for the Ozarks. Like if people can plug into that kind of thing and start learning, that's like the best thing. But otherwise, get out there and find these techniques that people are using. Try to implement them on your place and see if they're working. And if mm-hmm. they don't, they don't. Like a, the, the the hinge cutting. That looked cool, you know, yeah. and then you did two acres of it, and it's not so cool two years later. Right. Um, so that that was not for me, you know, kind of deal. Now, there's a there's a lot of that can go into managing a property that's timber versus field property too. There's there's a lot of differences out there. So you got to look at what your property is and try to find something that's going to be geared towards that or get out there and just try it. And you're going to have a, a ton of freaking fun. I'll yeah. tell you that. There's nothing more rewarding than working your property. You get out there and you do it. Like I tell people all the time, I would rather kill 120, 130-inch deer on this property than be like go to some other state and spend money or do whatever and get lucky and just like randomly kill some deer in some woods somewhere that's like 180. Like don't get me wrong, that's cool. Like I like that. But when I've invested my time and I can see that deer coming from the bedding area that I created and come into the food plot and use the water hole that I created and see things working, that's cool. Yeah. And that gets me pumped. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, even taking that kid out yesterday just to see the does come in and see where they come from and how they were like, dude, they're going to come to the persimmon patch and they come to the persimmon patch and they're going to they're gonna stop at the water hole. You know, it's pretty dang cool to see that. And that gets me pumped. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when you were talking about Obviously, deer, we love hunting deer, but even talking about the quail and the turkey that you've got and the fact that you got like goosebumps talking about it, (laughs) it's just like the pride and ownership that even goes back to something that like I probably is biblical. You talk about subdue the land. It's like you get such satisfaction from doing that and and, like feeling like feeling like you made a difference on your own land that um, it just I I would only assume that it it makes you want to just keep doing it and and do what you can to improve it even more. Oh, yeah. If you see something starting to work, you want to do more. Like, there's never a point that I'm like, yeah, I've done enough on the place. You know, I could have stopped three years ago. I've had it now for five years or so, but there's always something you can do to improve your place. So, always. Yeah. How has improving your land changed the way that you view hunting? Oh, I would, I tell people all the time, if I had an option to hunt or to manage deer, like to manage my land, I would manage my land. I would quit hunting. Really? really? Yeah, that's how much fun I love. I I love doing that and seeing the deer. Like, I love taking you guys out tonight and being like, hey, look at the deer everywhere, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> I love seeing the quail. Like, the rabbits on my place, there was no rabbits when I started this place. Really? Like, 
there was just no habitat for them. It was too much predators. And the first time I ever saw a rabbit, I about flipped out. Yeah. And now I have a few. Like, there's rabbits around, and I'm just like, you're okay. Like, I'm <laughs> never going to touch you. Like, and they'll run around. But you're safe here. Yeah. I'm not kidding. It's just there was not rabbits. And to see that get to that point now where there's rabbits and there's turkey and there's quail and stuff, like, I love it. I absolutely love it. So. Yeah. Would you call yourself more of a conservationist or a hunter? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I'm definitely, I would say, more of a conservationist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Sure. Yeah, I think conservation, there's a part of it that goes into hunting. Sure. That's a, that's, a, that's a small sliver of what a conservation is, and that's what I kind of view mine. Like, all year long, I'm working my land. I'm trying to make it the best that it can, and the benefit is the small time that I can hunt it. You know, so yeah. Mm. yeah, it's a benefit of my management. So gotcha. yeah, conservationist cool. for sure. Gotcha. Um, maybe one last question. We've kept you long enough, man. You've been so generous with your time. Oh, I've had fun, so it's been good. Uh, so one last question, maybe for you. What what makes the Ozarks unique in terms of managing land and and the habitat and and just kind of like this ecosystem that we live in here? You you've traveled around the country. You've hunted different places. What what makes this area unique? That's a good question, too. I'd say there's a couple things. Diversity and the challenge, both. The diversity here is pretty cool. I mean, you can you can go a half mile that way and you got creek bottom. You come up this way, you got sheer bluffs and, and mature timber and whatever. Like, I love the diversity that this area has. Um, you're, it's not known for the biggest bucks. Yeah. Fine by me. Right. Like, this is a cool place. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the challenge of it. Like, there's other states that uh, have more ag fields. That, and I've hunted other states. And, yeah, there's there are particular circumstances um, where it is easier hunting, you know, mm -hmm. than to come to this area and be like, okay, I'm loaded with it acorn trees everywhere and bluffs everywhere. And now I got to find pinch points coming up bluffs. Mm -hmm. I've got to figure out where these deer are cruising. I have all these steep valleys that I can't even hunt because my wind swirls all day long. Yeah. And I'm, you know, <laughs> so you have to find those small micro spots that you mm -hmm. can even hunt that you won't get busted all day long. So that's the beauty of this place. It's so diverse, but it's so challenging. So when you do kill something in this, I always tell people, you've done something. If you've killed a mature buck or a nice buck in this area, hats off to you. Yeah. Like, uh, you got my respect because it's not easy. So I think that's what I like about it. It's weird. We do travel everywhere, and I, I just can't wait to get back home and get in the stand here. And then I get here, and I get my butt handed to me, and I'm like, I'm ready to go somewhere else. Right. But uh, <laughs> I do really enjoy it, though. It's, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for for hanging out with us and sharing your your knowledge. Um, we've really enjoyed hanging out with you and talking with you. And we'll probably we're probably going to come back up here pretty soon and, and talk some tactics and actually get into some hunting stuff. So because yeah. I know you've got plenty of knowledge on that stuff yeah. too. So I'll be down for it. We had fun. By then there'll be more deer to come look at. So maybe we can take a look at some of the other properties. And you guys are really have your minds blown. They're really pretty too. Yeah. So heck yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate it. To our audience, thank you guys for listening. If you guys liked this episode, make sure you share it on social media, share it with a buddy. And if you really liked it, feel free to leave us a nice written review. Send us uh, a five-star review and we'll send you a free sticker. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors. Hosted by Kyle Beat, Produced by Daniel Matthews. And co-hosted by Kyle Plunkett, Adam Treese, and Josh Long. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating, a review, 
and sharing it with someone in the Ozarks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.